0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews or conversations with spiritually awakening people. I've done hundreds of them now, and if this is new to you and you'd like to check out previous ones, please go to batgap.com, B A T G A P, and look under the past interviews menu. This program and all the time we put into it is made possible by the support or through the support of appreciative listeners and viewers so if you appreciate it and would like to support it in any amount please uh, click on there's a paypal button on every page of the site and there's also a donate page with other alternatives if you don't like dealing with paypal my guest today is sarah taylor i met sarah at the science and non-duality conference last october and we hit it off and had some fun together and um You know, I think at that point, Sarah wasn't feeling like she was quite ready to do an interview, but now she is. And so here we go.
1: I was like, I don't know, Rick, not yet. We'd check in through email. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'll let you know.
0: (laughs) That's always a good sign. We're much more inclined to interview people who have that attitude than people who are champing at the bit. I kind of met Sarah because um, she and I are both friends with Susanna Marie who recommended her and who has been sort of a mentor for her. A little bit about Sarah. I'm just going to read the first part of a bio and let let her fill in the rest. Sarah is an actor, a writer, a stand-up comedian. Can you be funny sitting down or do you have to be standing up?
1: Never. I always have to be standing up, Rick. It just doesn't work if you're sitting down.
0: So you're not going to be funny in this interview then. Not at Um, all. It's going to be
1: a very serious, humorless interview. (laughs)
0: Um, So she's those things. And she's also a, a spiritual and creative mentor living in Los Angeles. As a child, creativity and spirituality were in the forefront of her life. The lived experience of unity faded as trauma and stress from a troubled home edged out this awareness. But as Sarah began to discover singing and acting, she was hooked on the transcendence they evoked. Creativity became her church and actually I wrote down another little thing Sarah's working on a book and and I've read a few rough drafts of some chapters and it's going to be a very good book because She's a good writer and she's been living a fascinating life, but here's something maybe we can start with At age four or five on the playground at school You would stand on the wood chips amongst the swing sets and slides and with eyes open gaze at the space in front of you until you were the space Vast, tranquil, nothingness and everythingness. It was all around you, and you were it. Ah, home. I, I replaced I with you just to read that. But anyway, is that a good starting place?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, the I think the funny thing about this is that, and maybe this is the way it is for for a lot of people who who come to spirituality later on and then go, Oh, I remember what this. I remember this feeling. I felt it as a child. I think we. I think we all are connected like that. When we're, when we're young. So I don't think it's just for like, you know, special people have it. Um, but yeah, as soon as I started meditating and having deep experiences later on on the spiritual path, I was like, Oh, that's what I was doing. And it it actually was kind of a specific meditation in the Dzogchen tradition called awareness of awareness, which I guess Padma Simbhava, who was an eighth century uh, Buddhist meditation master taught. And, uh, it's just gazing downwards and, you know, uh, resting resting in awareness, but you know holding inside and outside at the same time and it was it was um it was an escape when I was a child just uh i 'd also sort of lie on my bunk bed, the bottom bunk bed, and look up at a wood knot just uh just above me and i 'd just focus on that until I was taken into uh, a transcendent place. And so I must have been six or seven or eight. So it started out. I mean, I think it was kind of my my lived experience. I remember looking around at my family and going, "Huh, wow, everybody's just really running around. Like this is this is what people do. Okay, all right, okay." You know, kind of being a witness to it in a way. And then it be- it became sort of sort of an escape, I think. And then around I think seven or eight. Those experiences, I, I, can't, I can't really remember them. There was a there was a kind of a shutting down that happened.
0: Our friend Susanna said a similar thing, that she felt it slipping away. And it was like, I think she was, tr- maybe you, you can relate to trying to hold on to it. And, oh, I don't want to lose this. But then, you know, life just kept intensifying and kind of slips away.
1: I think for me, it was more like the survival mechanism, the fight or flight mechanism with how highly strung my nervous system was becoming. Because uh, I, you know, I had a troubled home. You know, nobody has a perfect upbringing, but it was a bit troubled. And so, when the nervous system is really keyed up, that edges out yeah. so much.
0: Yeah, that's why so many meditation practices are designed to get the nervous system unkeyed up. You know, because a more settled mind and nervous system is more conducive to that, the clarity and the transcendence
1: totally. And for anybody who's suffered trauma, I, I mean, and they say, well, I'm not good at meditation, or, I, you know, I want the spiritual path, I want to wake up, I want to, you know, whatever. But, I, you know, I, I don't want to do meditation. I'm usually like, try it, you know, because it's so soothing. It's so it's so calming. And it rewires your nervous system. I mean, you you know this.
0: Oh, yeah. And I suppose it's not too much of a stretch for people to you know, hear meditation and nervous system in the same sentence, because everything we experience has a physiological basis or a neurophysiological basis. And if it's a significant experience or a significant shift in awareness, there should be a significant shift in the physiology.
1: There sure is. And, And, you know, I found just on my path that trauma, even after very significant realizations, the nervous system keeps bumping you offline,
0: They've done studies on meditation where they'll expose long-term meditators to a very stressful experience, like a, a loud, sudden, unexpected sound, and the nervous system will react. But there's, uh, there's a sort of much quicker recovery time from those things. It gets back to you know, stasis much sooner.
1: Well, yeah, there's something about like the nervous system set point, that there's a set point. So apparently the nervous system doesn't like to go way up and way down. So if you're very young when you're developing as a as a human being, and you're learning that oh, you need to be oh, on high alert. You know your set point will be higher. The nervous system goes, okay, I don't want to go up and down like this. So let's just stay right here and, and keep it high. Uh, so great. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm no trauma expert, but
0: well, I, th- I think that's true. I mean, that's part of the, the deal with PTSD. You know, it's just there's been so much excitation or agitation or, or trauma, the nervous system gets Habituated to functioning that way, you know the the fight the fight flight response, which is supposed to be a momentary thing that's important in a saber tooth tiger incident, but you know if it happens often enough, it exactly. gets, it becomes the norm.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But the bright side of this discussion is that no, no matter how much of that has been piled on through through stressful incidents, uh, it can all be unwound and deconditioned and we can get back to a very beautiful style of physiological functioning and and that too has research on it they're doing they do research on ptsd sufferers and so on, and so on
1: the nervous system can heal the body can heal you know the mind heals the brain heals new neural pathways develop and awakening helps that my god i mean i didn't get in this with like i want to i want to wake up i mean i just wanted to Sleep better at night. I, you know, I had anxiety. I was, I was a very anxious person, uh, and uh, I had stage fright. But yet, I loved performing, and so it was this push pull of like, well, I love doing this, but it, you know, I kind of throw up before I do it. Gee, is that normal? So yeah, so I was just like, oh, I guess I'll learn, I'll learn meditation, and then I, I got way more than I bargained for. So.
0: Well, we're jumping ahead a little bit now. I don't want to have you talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but so you can give a very short answer, answer if you wish. But for the sake of those, and there are probably many who also went through traumatic childhoods, um, is there anything you can say to make your experience a little bit more specific or concrete so that people can relate and say, wow, you know, if she, if she went through that, then maybe there's
1: hope for me? Well, I mean, you know, I think with any type of trauma, you feel like your boundaries are being crossed. There was a lot of that. And just feeling like there's a threat to the to the organism, like there's some some sort of threat, even if it's psychological and emotional uh, abuse, is you know, can be just as devastating as physical abuse. So, you know, I found that sometimes people they don't, maybe they weren't physically abused, and they say, what, everything's fine. I don't know why I'm so, so anxious. I don't know why I have so many problems. I don't know why I, you know, but emotional abuse can feel like like a physical abuse. So emotional abuse, um, sexual abuse is a, is a, you know, a crossing of boundaries. It's actually something you can point to and go, whoa, this, this, this happened, even though people block it out, um, you know, as a, as a survival mechanism. So whether, whether the trauma was, you know, emotional or physical, apparently the the nervous system and the brain responds, Similarly. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Levine's work. Uh, he's got a great book, Waking the Tiger, that I highly recommend for people to read if they've had any kind of trauma in their background. He, he says that things like, you know, a surgery when you're four years old, you know, or, or three or, you know, before the age of seven or something he's saying can be extremely traumatic, um, which I had. I, I had a list of things that were wonderful in my childhood, but everybody did their best. So, you know, there's no blame or anything it is what it is. But yeah, so you know, falling off, falling off your bike and not being able to discharge that energy. And Peter Levine talks about this, you know, in a much, much more eloquent way. But, you know, even just falling off your bike when you're like six and trying to ride a bike, and if it's a hard fall, and you know, you have, let's say a parent is saying, get back up on the bike, and you don't have a chance to discharge the energy and to cry and to go, that was scary and to shake a little bit you know, then it stuffs down, it gets stuffed down. So, you know, our nervous systems are filled with stuffed down stuff.
0: I'll bet that circumcision creates a lot of stuffed down stuff for, you know, little little infants that don't know what the heck is going on. And all of a sudden, they must create all kinds of sexual issues.
1: It may be. Yeah. I wonder if there's some research done on that.
0: In a couple of weeks, I'm going to interview a guy who, um, wrote a book called soul's gift and another one called soul's plan. And basically he seems to be saying that even if we're abused, there may be exceptions to this. And I've only read a little bit of his book so far, but even if we're abused, it's like we actually made a plan for that to happen as we came into this life. And it may have been done in collaboration with our abuser and, and the abuser might have said, uh, you know, oh, I, I really don't want to do this. I love you. I can't possibly treat you that way. And, and we will say, but I want you to because I need to have that experience in order to undergo such and such a growth. I mean, do you think that there's any validity to that uh, way of thinking? Or, uh, I do. Do you? I okay. do.
1: Yeah, I'm grateful for my life. And, um, you know, I, we're all one organism. We're all one thing. So yeah. we're all in cooperation. E- even even somebody like Donald Trump, he's pl- he's playing a role. You know, I can just imagine him before. Having to land in a body, he's like, "What you want me to do? What?" Um, but, uh, but yeah, everybody's kind of playing playing a role. So that, I mean, my view is so that humanity can evolve, you know, in some way, and that and that 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 involves the individual uh, uh, evolving the individual consciousness.
0: All the world's a stage, and each man in his time plays many parts. Right? We have our exits and our entrances.
1: That's right. Shakespeare, yeah. all, all the stuff that I was doing, kind of um, going into a meditative, absorbed state when I was very young, uh, what was actually probably really helpful for my nervous system, um, and uh, and then I, you know, kind of forgot about it, and you know, tried to tried to fit in and everything, and then I, I, I discovered, um, you know, singing uh, when I was about fourteen, mm-hmm. and that was when the transcendence started started returning.
0: Oh really? So that wasn't a long hiatus. If if you went from nine to fourteen and then it started returning already, that's pretty. Yeah. Weird.
1: Or or it was probably about maybe six or seven, six and then yeah, fourteen. Um, but you know, I, I, I misunderstood it. I thought, oh wow, so this this singing thing, this creative thing that I do, whether it's writing or. Acting out little characters for my family, or acting out scenes with my dolls in my room, or something when I was little, or something. So I guess you know I was feeling it then too. There was a, a stillness and a um, a spaciousness and an interconnectedness and a, and a peace that would that would that would descend. So that that kind of hooked me. You know, I it was very pronounced when I was fourteen and when I began singing. I mean, music really really can do that to all of us. But, you know, I, I got I got hooked on it. I was like, oh, well, I got to keep doing this. And then I discovered acting. And so performing gave me that doorway into uh, presence uh, and uh, peace and interconnectedness.
0: Yeah. But you did go through quite a period, it seems, of, of dependent upon antidepressants and you were drinking and all kinds of stuff happened. So, I mean, let's touch on that a little bit without belaboring it too much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, when I found, found performing, it it was, it was a really exhilarating time, but again, I, I, you know, I misunderstood it and was like, Oh great. I got to keep doing this thing so I can feel that way. Mm. Um, I went to a college for the arts. I went to American conservatory theater in San Francisco and then went to California Institute of the arts I got a degree in 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 acting, which makes you lots of money. But I had developed, I developed this identity of Sarah the actor, Sarah the performer, because that that was the only time I really felt connected to everything, alive. You know, you get it. Um, so, so what happened upon graduation, you know, every, every college graduate goes through a tough time. Uh, I was no different, but, you know, graduating from an art school, looking back now, that identity was starting to be seen through, you know, and, and like it, it, it wasn't fitting. I was trying to do the Hollywood thing and getting an agent and going on auditions. And, and I was like, wow, why doesn't this feel the way it, it did when I was, you know, acting and performing. And, and why does this feel different? Well, you know, cause now you're supposed to go make a, make a living at it. But there was also something about knowing what I am beyond that, that I think was starting to dawn. And I, I uh, went to massage school so that I could learn, you know, a trade so that I could support myself. And so I, I, it was in massage school where I feel like I had a, a, a the beginnings of a Kundalini awakening because energy started moving through me a lot. You know how kundalini works. It's, it's you know, you get very energized and, and uh, the stuff was coming to light. Um, and I fell into a really deep depression. Huh. I fell into a very, very deep depression. And, um, y- you know, depression was not something new to me. I would fall into these, these, these bouts uh, of depression. When I was 15, I tried to kill myself. I took a bottle of sleeping pills and I lay on the bed. And I, I did what what I always did when I was a child, which was rest my attention on my breath. And it took me into a very still, quiet place. And I had a vision of me acting on stage. And something in me said, get off the bed, don't die, because you go do this, go do this thing.
0: So you got up and went and vomited or
1: something, yeah, I, well, I went into my, you know the living room where my parents were, and I said, "I have good news and bad news." <laughs> I was like, "The bad news is, I just swallowed a bunch of sleeping pills, but the good news is i 'm going to be an actress, so and they were like, "What you know, like what are you talking about So you know, but it, it was from that day, I had a sort of purpose um, so out of that darkness came this vision, and I was like that's what I'm going to do, that 's what I 'm going to be." Um, so, you know, here I am just graduated from this art school and I'm in another depression, but yet I didn't feel identified with the Sarah, the actress. So I felt, I felt aimless and I didn't know, uh, what to do because acting and performing had been my, my thing, my doorway into the divine.
0: It's interesting that, um, the stirring up of Kundalini would coincide with depression. Usually people experience, Well, it can can coincide with all kinds of things, I suppose. But most often it seems like it stirs up some bliss or
1: some. Oh, yeah, Yeah. it sure did. Oh, okay, It sure did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for for a while. I mean, you know, then Kundalini visited me again in 2011. And that was a ride. But um, but yeah, yeah, lots of bliss and lots of like energy and uh, feeling great. Um, And then it starts kicking up all the sediment in the system. Yeah. you know so it starts kicking up all the sediment in the system and i fell into a depression and so uh i i went to like a like a one of those low cost clinics cuz i didn't have any insurance and uh they listened to me say i'm depressed and um the guy wrote down, she's depressed, uh, you know, on the little piece of paper, or whatever he was, you know, coming up with my diagnosis. And then I said, Oh, by the way, you know, bipolar illness runs in my family. And he went, Oh, and he just crossed it off and said, bipolar too. Oh, and handed it to me and said, you need to be on this medication medication. And, and I was very happy to have a new identity.
0: Bipolar lady.
1: That's right. <laughs> so it went from actor, 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 lady to, oh, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. And, you know, we know that trauma can masquerade as a lot of different physical illnesses. And
0: you thought you were going to be like Jonathan Winters I guess.
1: I may, maybe, I don't know. Uh, or P- Patty Duke, who knows, you know, now there are a lot of great examples of people, people with bipolar doing wonderful things. But, it, you know, it turned out to be a misdiagnosis. That wasn't, that wasn't really what was, what was happening.
0: Which tells you something right there. I mean, how many millions of kids are there in this country who are on various medications because of some snap judgment?
1: So, I mean, I, and I just took that diagnosis then to another uh, psychiatrist and said, so I'm bipolar too. And, you know, I was such a good little actress. Like, I'll play that role. Please give me an identity. I need one. So, yeah, the medication um, numbed me. You know, I'm not anti-medication. I think it's helpful for people if they truly it can get them over a hump or if they, you know, really if if they're destabilized without it. But yeah, I was on it for about 10 years. What
0: kind of medication was it?
1: There was a mood stabilizer and there were always like two different antidepressants that the shrink was trying out. I remember uh, Nothing uh, one time when
0: I was a teenager when I was taking drugs, trying a tranquilizer one time just for kicks, and I thought, "God, this is horrible. It's so Numbing, to use your word, you know, just so flat, so blah. How can anybody stand to live like this?
1: Yeah, and I felt tranquilized. <laughs> well, I found out that one one of the initial um, medications that they gave me. I when I looked it up online later, and it was it it said it's you know that's what it does. It tranquilizes you. So it was just like, here, kid, go 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 sleep for a while. That's not what we need. I mean, I'm sure we have a lo- we have a long way to go with understanding. M- mood disorders and mental illness, and but yeah, not everybody needs to be needs to be on medication. So,
0: so what got you out of that phase?
1: Well, I'm so grateful for for the internet because I, you know, I just started doing research and and going on these message boards and stuff. Facebook wasn't invented yet, and just going, wow, I don't, this doesn't feel like me. All these people are having these horrible side effects from medication and um, uh, playing around with their medication to try to get the right cocktail. And, and, and so I was definitely searching for something, uh, for sure. And, um, I eventually kind of came to the conclusion that I didn't think I needed to be on it anymore. And of course, you know, being the good little people pleaser that I am, I, you know, went to my shrink that I'd meet up with every month and say, I don't, you know, I think, can we start lowering it, lowering the dosage? And he was like, yeah, and then eventually I was like, I think, I think I want to go off it. Like, Ooh, you know, Ooh, what's going to happen? You know? And he just looked at me and said, I think that's a great idea. And, um, he, he agreed. He said, I, I think you're going to be okay. Um, but he did ask me, he said, so what are you going to do, um, to support you instead of the, the medication? I said, well, I think I'm going to take a meditation class. So, um, that's, that's how it began, and so I guess that was two thousand five um, that I that I got off the medication. And you know, you you have to detox that stuff out of your system. Like it's it's a ugh. but right around that same time, I, I was feeling this urge to write and perform. What it was that I was writing, so I was you know taking some classes about you know performing what you write, kind of solo show st- type of stuff. Um, and, uh, and then I, you know, I, I took a meditation class from my friend, Angela, who, who taught me, uh, a meditation with, uh, you know, chakras and stuff. And then, uh, I got into some therapy, uh, finally. Yay! Finally getting into therapy. Cause I, you know, I was always seeing, seeing a psychiatrist rather than actually talking to somebody about what, you know, what was going on. So, um, so I got into therapy and, and I, I went to my first Buddhist, uh, Buddhist talk. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And it, and funny, it was like right around the same time uh, that I started doing stand up, that something in me said, you got to go do stand up. And I did think it was odd. I think you and I were talking about it before we started recording or something that um, I've never been like a big fan of stand up comedy. You'd never find me like in the comedy clubs, you know, sitting there with a drink in hand, you know, uh, watching a comic. I was like, stand up comedy. But something in me, you know it was kind of pushing me to get on stage and do it so i began meditating and doing stand up comedy at the same time
0: all right so you you went to your first buddhist meeting
1: uh yeah and i was like well this is cool that buddha dude had some cool things to say uh i remember i i think i went with a couple of friends who were like i don't know what they're talking about and i was like oh kind of makes sense to me i don't know you know when i would read buddhist teachings or or hear a talk on it uh, there was a resonance for sure um and uh it felt very familiar to me and so you know i began having deep experiences i think right away such as well i went i went to a meditation retreat my first meditation retreat i, I my my therapist you know would would lead these uh little buddhist retreats up at a a zen center and um which was very helpful. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing because I was just sitting there in the you know meditation zendo, kind of like, do I focus on my chakras? What do I do? Why am I here? I mean, I don't know why, like I signed up for a nine-day meditation retreat, kind of right off, like, let's do this. And you know, I became one-pointed and concentrated and sort of a, a joy welled up in my chest. And this was the first... Um, retreat that I was on. And I remember being outside and, you know, the trees were all around me and I just took a breath in and focused on my heart. And there just was this bursting open. And I heard inside, I heard welcome home. Uh, I've had lots of little intuitive pointers along the way. uh, Little, little voices inside, um, which somebody could probably diagnose as something. But you and I know better. But yeah, so, so it was a very deep kind of homecoming to, uh, to go into meditation, which, you know, doesn't mean that I stayed in these, uh, you know, absorbed states for, you know, hours and hours or days at a time. I, you know, I'd, I'd get bumped off of it because the nervous system was so jacked up and the mind is busy. And, but I became hooked. I became really, really hooked on meditation and I began to meditate for hours and hours and hours a day. And uh, I went on like three meditation retreats a year for a while. I found that I was able to go into what uh, what's called the jhanas. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know a ton about Buddhism. I know that, you know, like through the whole time that I, you know, was on the Buddhist path and doing the practices, uh, I'd start to read something about Buddhism or I'd start to... Um, Try to intellectually understand something and I'd be like, Ugh, I'm just going to meditate like I wanted the direct experience. I didn't want to get bogged down. That was really, um, I mean, I'm glad it was some sort of intelligence telling me, "Ugh, she's got enough stuff in her mind. Like, no, don't fill it with other stuff. So I began going into the jhanas, uh, which are these eight absorbed states. And, uh, you know, there's like a very blissful state, there's a, a quantumist state, there's a state which you're connected with everything, there's the state of no thing, and then there's the, the eighth jhana, which is n- neither, you know, perception or non-perception is, is what it's called.
0: And you weren't trying to go into specific jhanas, you were just spontaneously slipping into one or another?
1: Well, the, my teacher was talking about the jhanas and teaching okay. them and he did a great job with it because I just latched on. To-
0: when he would talk about one, you would find yourself being able to experience it. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and I started coming to him with like, Hey, you know, I was experiencing this. You know, sort of like falling into a white snowbank and being enveloped in just all white and and everything is spacious and it it goes on for forever and uh, and he'd say, "Oh well, that sounds like the fourth jhana and um, which which the Buddha described as being wrapped in a white blanket from head to foot or something like that, so I would have these experiences, and um, I was hooked on that then.
0: So that kind of stirred up the kundalini again, as I understand it.
1: That took a while. That was 2011. So I was meditating probably like 2006 to 2011. About five years. Yeah, yeah. And in 2011, I had a an, an awakening. Uh, I mean, I, I'd had a I'd had a glimpse into the nothingness of the small self. Uh, you know, a few years prior to that. Um, uh, which actually you, you might enjoy hearing about this in that because uh, we were talking about comedy before in that, you know, it was in LA traffic and I, I, it was like a glimpse, like a foretaste, you know, um, of seeing that who I had taken myself to be was really just a series of roles, you know, like we're putting on costumes and then taking them off, putting on costumes and taking them off Um, that, that it's fluid, that there's, it's not fixed. It's not stable. It's not permanent. And I, I fell into the witness state I guess as, as UTMers would call it a deep deep emptiness and uh and a witnessing everything and so I was just sort of this bag of emptiness you know going around doing comedy shows in LA uh and and I, and it built my my confidence at the time because I hadn't really had a had a profound shift yet but um it, it built my confidence in, in emptiness and in presence and in being nobody because I remember sitting in the back of the comedy store and, and I had a bunch of shows that week, like at the Hollywood improv and this other comedy club and, and the comedy store. And I'm sitting in the back and I'm just this bag of emptiness and I hear, uh, the host say, and ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Taylor and somehow, you know I was thinking to myself what's going to happen I'm just this bag of emptiness and you know I get on stage and I grab the mic and jokes start coming out material starts coming out you know engagement with the audience comes out you know spontaneity and so so I had already had a sort of emptying out uh, that occurred I guess that was about in like 2009 um so then the then the kundalini uh, mayhem ensued in in 2011 uh, which, which happened um as a result of a, of an awakening of a a real seeing, um, that, uh, that I made up that the small me is made up. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was, and it was a, a, a seeing of myself. It was actually visual, visual for me. And I just watched myself go down a drain and I, you know, felt this pop of just relief and expanse and I kept banging the floor going, I'm free, I'm free. Like it was the whole, it was like fireworks. You know, it was a fireworks type of, uh, you know, shaking and crying and laughing. And the next day or two later, as I was sitting in meditation, then the kundalini uh, erupted.
0: And what was that like? I mean, how did it erupt?
1: It was like a fire hose. Shooting h- up your spine? Had, yeah, totally. Totally. You know, and luckily I just had that shift in seeing, and I think I was...
0: Probably wouldn't have erupted if you hadn't had it.
1: it yeah, right. Um, although you never know. You hear some, some crazy stories, and I have some students and people who work with me who've had like big Kundalini openings, but the, you know they have no context for it. So, But yes, it was like a fire hose just, just uh, going off from bottom to top, and I just thankfully knew enough to lie back on the bed and just let it move through me for about 20 minutes. And, and it was, you know, every dark thought I'd ever thought, every uh, self-harming thought, every, you know, I, I'm worthless. It's awful. Life sucks. I'm, I'm a piece of shit. Can we swear? Um, sure. Shit. Um, and, and, and I just lay back on the bed and just, it all was just, just coming out, I guess, or coming through. And then the next day, a download through the top of my head.
0: Let's talk about the previous point first, and then we'll get into the download. And I think it illustrates a principle which probably most people listening to this are familiar with, but it's worth mentioning, which is that you know the body is like a container or a, a, an instrument through which anything is lived. But if there's a profound spiritual awakening, then, as we were talking about earlier, uh, there has to be a correlation between that and the physiology. And if the physiology is full of crud then and, and a profound spiritual awakening has is happening or has happened then that that crud no longer belongs in that nervous system because it's <laughs> that nervous system isn't going to be able to support that kind of experience if it's full of crud so the crud has to go and there it goes as you experienced
1: yeah yeah exactly all those energetic knots loosening and, and that, that, that wasn't the end of it. I mean, you know, as many of your listeners and your viewers know, uh, you know, awakening just sort of like opens up the door and then all the little demons come playing out. Um, and people are like, what happened? Why is this happening? And it was, you know, many, many years of stuff, right. Rising to the surface. It was at that time that, that I, you know, I went to my teacher and I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to talk about, you know, the, the abuse and the trauma that I've experienced. And I remember him saying, "What? Well, why you've just had this profound realization. So he, he didn't really get it at first. But who knows why? But I sort of floundered for, for a few years because there was so much dark material coming forward. And so I got into therapy.
0: So as that dark material was coming forward, um, did the witness state or the whatever you want to call it, abide or persist and thereby give you the sort of stability to handle all that that was not, coming up.
1: A, not always i mean it was back and forth it was the i got it i lost it i got it i lost it i got it i lost it thing
0: which also is indicative of a culturing of the nervous system you know because the nervous system can't just go from a to z and snap on and be sustaining it it has to sort of and it tends to purify in waves so there's a wave of purification and then integration of that and then a wave of purification, and that, can go, that, that cycle can repeat for a long time.
1: It, and it repeats, and people always say, like, <clears throat> I just went through this. Why am I back here again? Yeah. But, but, you know, you just it's a spiral. You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into the sediment just come, keeps coming up. Yeah. Uh, every time there's an opening, there's a, a grate, then more, more of the crap can come through.
0: Yeah, sometimes I like to think of the, these openings or, or consciousness, if you will, as a solvent. And, um, you know, the way, let's say, water can be a solvent, you can dissolve things in it. And, and if you just have a cup, then you don't have very much water, so you can't dissolve very much. But if you, as the capacity of the water increases, then more and more can be dissolved. And, um, you know, if, the, if, the, if it becomes oceanic, you can throw in dump trucks full of, of mud or something, and they're just going to get dissolved because there's enough capacity.
1: Yeah, yeah. So something like that. So I kept saying, like, when's it all going to be dissolved? Um, <laughs> you know, it was um, a very tough time. Um, it, you know, there was a lot. I, that was like 2011, 12, 13. Those were really, really, really hard years. My, my poor, my poor now husband. But th- there was chaos all around me. I, my, you know, things were falling apart. Toxic relationships were dissolving. I. You know, I, w- I was doubting what I wanted to do. You know, there's been a lot of stops and starts on my path, and the uh, the the doer. I, you know, I couldn't kind of summon getting back on stage and doing the grind of a stand up comic. Like it just wasn't wasn't coming. So I I stopped performing for about three years, four years maybe. I mean, I just didn't. I mean, I had an agent, so I was, you know, I did this NBC show that was like a web series. And I did like, you know, some other stuff. And, and I remember thinking like, Oh, do I want to do this? You know, what am I doing? It was all seeming meaningless, you know, that whole stage of I had seen that, you know, the small self is more or less made up, it's transparent, it's not necessarily real in a fixed sense. And so is everything else. So um, so it was a real chaotic time. It was a it was a divine mess, as I like to call it. In that, you know, the kundalini was doing its thing. You know, the body would would shake from the kundalini and move, and um, I would get sick a lot. The reactive patterns would recruit the kundalini energy, and and you know, I'd 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 be in an inflamed state. You know, I was doubting what I was doing. I didn't know where I was headed. Um, You know, everything was changing around me, so it was was very, uh, very chaotic. But also, that you know, after that Kundalini awakening, like a day later, then there was some sort of download through the top of my head. Well, I mean, we now know that you know it's maybe universal shakti. So perhaps that was personal shakti that had become awakened. But um, there was a download of a very, very big energy that started moving through me. And so in the midst of all this chaos, I started doing energy healing work on people, which, you know, thankfully people were, were helped by it and, and aided, you know, by it, even though I was still kind of stabilizing. And
0: perhaps it, perhaps it helped you to stabilize or integrate to do that work.
1: I think it did. I think it, it, it did because I felt like, well, I have to do something with this. I want to be of service. I want to, you know, it, this this energy that comes through wants to become, it wants to help, it wants to, you know, do something.
0: When when I became a meditation teacher, uh, you know, Maharishi said, well, teaching is one of the best things you can do for your own evolution and for your own integration. And that, you know, once you step into that role, then a lot more energy will come through you or wisdom or whatever.
1: That's interesting. You know, the
0: more you give away, the more you get sort of thing.
1: Yeah, because in 2008, I began teaching meditation. I mean, I, I didn't even think about it like, uh, like, oh, it's such a cliche. People get into spirituality and then start teaching. Like, I didn't even know that that was a cliche. Uh, I just was like, oh, gosh, I want to share this. So, I mean, I remember I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, why don't why don't other creatives know about this? And so I began, uh, you know, back in 2008, 2009. This is before the Kundalini mayhem. We'll get back to that. But yeah, I, I had a class called Comedy Karma for comics, uh, where we would sit around and we'd meditate and then work on comedy material and share it with each other. And so I was, uh, you know, teaching teaching meditation to the comics here in LA, and um, did that for a while, and and then it just sort of, you know, became me teaching meditation at companies and. Um, you know, so a lot of the teaching that I was doing 10 years ago or eight years ago or whatever was more like, oh, you know, meditation is really going to help you with anxiety. It's going to help, you know, decrease your stress. And of course, through the years, how I teach and how I work with people, of course, has changed. I think maybe, maybe the teaching was very, you know, very, very beneficial and helped move me along. And it just always, it just felt very natural, just felt very natural. So Kundalini Mayhem
0: sounds like a good name for a rock band, maybe.
1: I know. We just thought of it. Let's do it. Can you play the guitar?
0: (laughs) No, I'm a drummer. Play the
1: drums. Oh, you're a drummer. That's right. Oh, cool. Well, I kind of badly play the guitar and the ukulele, not well, but you know, just enough to sort of sing loud enough that it, you know, covers it up.
0: I don't know if the ukulele belongs in a band called Kundalini Mayhem.
1: You never know. Sounds more like heavy ukuleles metal to can me. rock out. Why not? <laughs> Non-duality, Rick. It all belongs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the kundalini was going crazy, and the you know the shakti or whatever just just pouring through me, and um, yeah, I think we were talking this past week that you know I, I went into right, right around this time I went into a Kinko's FedEx, and um, all the copiers stopped working. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, I, and the guy was like, I don't know, this has never happened. There's like eight copiers. And I was like, hold on a second. And I'd been learning about grounding my energy and dumping excess energy. You know, I was learning all this personal energy stuff
0: yeah. to help me. Just to interject, I was on a long meditation. I've been Well, I've done a lot of long meditation courses, sometimes like six months at a time, and where you're doing all this long stuff. And weird things would happen I mean it was very common for watches to stop working and all but also for glasses to explode water glasses and glass doors to explode and I would walk into a room and the typewriter would would break but then I was also good at fixing things
1: so yeah (laughs) that came in handy stuff happens yeah yeah it's super it's super weird I mean uh, uh I mean, there's like a laundry list. I won't bore your listeners with like just crazy things that, that happened during this time um, where people finally just started turning to me and going, is that your energy? Stop it. And I'm like, it's not my energy. It's everybody's energy. Just crazy, crazy stuff was happening. Um, a lot of chaos, but eventually things started, started kind of settling good therapy for anybody who's had any background of trauma and you're in an awakening or you want awakening is do as much healing work as you can <laughs> do it you know having a trusted relationship with a qualified therapist uh, shout out to Dr. Beth Leedham in Encino. She was incredible, so I saw her from like two thousand and twelve to i don't know two thousand fifteen or something like that that was incredibly helpful, you know doing energy healing work not just on others but but going and getting energy healing work done on me. Um, it was a real time of healing, you know, getting massages, being in the body, uh, doing yoga, you know. So for anybody, you know, going through, you know, something like that, it's so important to stay connected to the body and to and to develop good relationships uh, with, with people if you've been through trauma, yeah. you know.
0: And sometimes, good old physical exercise can be very helpful, you know, like some kind of sport or jogging or whatever. Swimming, whatever appeals. Yeah, I to like you. to
1: run. Yeah, yeah. And you do pickleball, right?
0: I do a lot of it.
1: Pickleball. What Look the it up? heck is Look pickleball, it up, people? <laughs> Google <laughs> it.
0: It's like tennis for old people.
1: It's tennis for old people. I don't know. I saw a video or something that you sent me. It looked insane. It was just so Oh yeah.
0: I mean the champion speedy. the champions are young, but um you, you can get you can get good at it. Well let's not get off on pickleball.
1: Okay, all right. Well we could, but we'll have a whole other Bat Gap, uh interview about pickleball. So yeah. anyway. Kundalini started to simmer down. You know, during this time psychic stuff opened up as well.
0: Well let's talk about that. That'll be interesting. Put your turban on and tell us about it.
1: So let me tell you Madam Sarah. Madam Sarah, fortune teller. Yeah, I did. I did a bit of that. I I actually started doing psychic readings. I mean, I was really like looking for what, you know, why am I here? And how do I give back? Yeah, what
0: am I supposed to do with all this? stuff? What does
1: this all mean? I know that's the common thing that people get into, you know, what do I do with it? What do I do with it? And, you know, first and foremost, it's it's for us to help us navigate our way because there's more to be done.
0: What were some specific psychic experiences you had just out of curiosity? Not that we want to dwell on that too much, but anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, well, I found out that I'm a medium or that I, you know, have mediumship abilities. But I think this is, you know, very, very common. Maybe it's not common. I shouldn't say that because, you know, not everybody will experience this. It doesn't mean something's not happening on your path. Your listeners know that by now. But yeah, just being able to know what was going on with somebody, being able to see energy and to see where there might be blocks and then correlate that to the chakras and, you know, sit with somebody and and they would, you know, the blocks would kind of maybe dissolve or the energy would, you know, get discharged and reorganize in the system you know, knowing things about people, um, having visions, having dreams, and for a while I did, I did mediumship. So if people were coming to me for energy healing work, you know, and their dead uncle wanted to talk, then I was like, "All right, let's do this." But you know, in time, I stopped making that part of of what I what I do.
0: Is that what you meant when you mentioned cities in your bio? That um, yeah, or were there, were there other cities? yeah.
1: I mean, well, I I haven't walked through a wall yet, but
0: mm-hmm. can you levitate?
1: Not yet, but I'm working on it. (laughs) Because that'll be useful.
0: It could become a magician. LA
1: traffic, right, or just LA traffic. Screw this, I'm just going to levitate to Santa Monica today. But yeah, just, you know, more like psychic stuff, you know, which which I thought, okay, I guess I'm a psychic. And I don't know, somebody hooked me up with a reality show that was going to like do something on me being this psychic who was traveling the world. And then I was like, okay, that feels really wrong. It was a very tumultuous time. But around 2014 or so, you know, I, f- I found Adya Shanti's book because I, I was a little—I was lost. I was a little, little lost. I, apparently, I didn't know how to Google non-duality or, you know, uh, what happens post-awakening. But I just, I just didn't, I just didn't. I knew that something—a significant shift—had occurred, but I, I was lost. I was pretty lost.
0: Which is an interesting point, because here you were having experiences that would make many spiritual aspirants envious, if if envy were cool to have, if, if you're a spiritual aspirant, um, and yet you were lost. And what that highlights is the value of knowledge. Um, ex- experience alone is only one leg, and you can't walk on one leg. You, you need the leg of knowledge as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just wasn't finding anything that said, hey, if you've had a significant opening, or awakening then like we were talking about the sediment is going to rise to the surface. It's, you know, things are, are going to be in motion for a while. There's all that stillness, right? But then there's all that motion um, of, of, of the chaos, at least on my path. And then I, and then I found Adyashanti's book, uh, the end of your world, uncensored straight talk on the nature of enlightenment. I think, you know, the guy,
0: I think I have it on the shelf right behind me. And yeah, I know the guy we've, we've eaten spaghetti before together.
1: Yeah. And, um, and so I was like, Oh, you know, and even just reading the first few pages, I sank into a deep, luminous peace and everything sort of settled down. So I, I, I feel like sometimes just being seen and acknowledged and, um, it, it is enough to, to kind of cool all that, all that energy that's in the system. You know, um, I see you relax. This is natural. This is par for the course. Nothing's wrong. It's going to be okay. It's not going to be like this forever. And so that book really, really, really helped me. And then things started stabilizing and integrating, I think more after 2014. Thank God.
0: Yeah, there could be more, but sounds like you've, you've passed some significant milestones and you may be on cruise control now, you know?
1: Well, I mean, th- I mean, I then had an awakening in 2016, which was far beyond the, the awakenings that I'd had before. So Let's
0: talk about that in one second. I just want to, you know, as a setup for that, I just want to ask you about the previous awakening. So the previous awakening had a strong witnessing quality to it. And, you know, you kind of saw through the nature of the personal self and you weren't really making decisions. Everything was kind of on autopilot, I guess. And uh, you probably felt like you weren't the actor or the doer or anything somehow things were just action was being done spontaneously automatically by who knows what right yeah and there was a lot of arm. muscling
1: too a lot there of was what? a lot of the eat there was a lot of like muscling too because then then a doer would would try to i try to try summon to a doer
0: authority yeah. yeah
1: oh yeah yeah sure did
0: yeah. you go through a seesaw phase where where there was kind of a and you, you talked about i got it i lost it but but was that characterized by a sense of alternating surrender and control um, where you on the one hand felt like sort of the divine was really orchestrating things and you didn't want to get in the way but on the other hand that could lead to passivity and there needed to be some initiative and and there was a a working out of a balance between those two different tendencies
1: yeah that that was a it was a confusing time because I felt very passive. I didn't feel like doing much, I, you know, and with the nature of things that I do, just being an actor and a comedian, you know, there's a lot of efforting yeah. that everybody's under the impression we we need to be doing. We got it. We got to do the grind. We got to muscle it. We got to get out there and hustle. <laughs> there was no hustle. The only doing that really felt continual was the teaching and the energy healing work. But with the with the acting and the performing, that Something in me would start to rise up and go. Wait a minute, and grab a hold of it and go. But 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 I'm supposed to be doing this with my life. And then there'd be a muscling and a contracting and a kind of pushing. So there was this feeling of pushing, and then a oh, all right.
0: When you tried to push, did you get some blowback from from nature, if you want to call it that? I mean, did you so? Did you get resistance or, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I got into car accidents. I had illnesses that would just lay me up for a while. So I was definitely getting the message.
0: It reminds me of Adia's story where he was he was into this competitive bicycle racing thing, you know. And um, and then he'd have some profound awakening. And then he'd try to get back into competitive bicycle racing. And next thing you know, he'd be flat on his back for six months.
1: Right. <laughs> I, I would <laughs> like, have to say. Got other plans that that, for you, kid. Yeah, I got other plans for you, mister that's kind of like what it was i I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd get back on the horse and i'd start muscling the whole i'm an actor thing or you know i'm doing stand up and then it would all collapse yeah. and and i would i would be forced sometimes just to be flat on my back and just i you know there's nothing nothing i can do i guess i have to really let let that go
0: yeah it's interesting i've gone through a lot of that myself and even recently some guy got in touch with me and he said you know i had this awakening and i don't feel like doing anything when there's no impetus to action how are you supposed to act you know when there's no sense of an actor so there's this kind of gear shift thing that happens between between sort of a sense of individual self being in control and this well, there's a vedic phase for it they say brahman is the charioteer so you have to let go of the reins, so brahman can take them up
1: Yeah. And that, that letting go has to, has to happen. And some non-duality heads might be like, well, who's letting go? There's nobody there. Yeah. Yeah. Blah, blah. But yeah. And I think that contributes to a lot of the, I got it. I lost it phase, which just, you know, rule rule of thumb is surrender to what is. Uh Whatever is happening belongs. Whatever is happening is needed. So we polish that facet of the diamond, you know,
0: (laughs) when you're going through the I got it, I lost it phase. Did you have days where during the I lost it aspect uh, where you felt like I can't wait to go to sleep tonight so I can just be oblivious because I can't stand this gripped feeling of of being lost again?
1: Yeah. yeah. And then I'd have like super weird dreams where like, you know, some yogi was like stroking my third eye the entire night. I'm witnessing the dream. (sighs) I had the same thing. Did you, I don't want to say me too, too to many times, but this. I had the
0: very same thing. This, you know, on the on the forehead, like that, shh, and then woke up in this profound state of what was that? Yeah.
1: Wow, very cool. Y- yeah, these little gifts that we get. Yeah, it was it was a, a, a dream. You know, a few years after the Kundalini awakening, and and I just was lying back in this yogi's lap. I'm still trying to figure out who that was. A orange robe, you know, a turban, and and I was the witness, watching him as he just stroked my third eye, and then he, you know, he looked up at me, you know, and just kind of nodded to the me watching, and then went went back to stroking the third eye. And I mean, this was like an eight hour long dream or something. And um, and that was around the time that the psychic stuff was opening up, and you know, all that all that kind of opening, like a like a bigger seeing not just seeing things about myself but seeing things about others and about life
0: i also had a thing one time where some being of some sort worked me over uh, had me lie on my stomach holding onto some handles and then worked my spine up and down with some kind of implement some kind of spear or something like that it was
1: spiritual chiropractic it was the
0: biggest and most intense experience i ever had in my life I feel like I'm talking about myself too much. Well, wait, wait,
1: wait, but hold on a second. How how did you feel afterwards? Like what?
0: Utterly released. It was as if I had been gripped by steel bands for all eternity, and suddenly those bands had been broken, and I just felt this awesome set, sense of freedom and bliss and relief and gratitude. And I kind of walked around with my jaw hanging open for a few days, just kind of adjusting to this new condition.
1: Yeah, what the what the body had been holding on to. Our bodies hold hold on to so much. And the, and the sp- and he was working your spine too, which is Yeah.
0: It was like I was ushered into this room, told to lie down on my stomach, hold on to these handles, and some something somebody with a, a spear or a trident or something came and started stabbing up and down my spine with this thing and it was like I held on for dear life and it was excruciating but wonderful at the same time and then when i came out of it my body was drenched in sweat and i was sort of lying in bed like this and just felt like this oh, huge relief of like god
1: what what a chiropractic adjustment yeah. um well, you know, network chiropractic, if, if anybody out there is interested in looking into, I think it's called network, network spinal analysis now. It's really great for clearing the nervous system through the spine of a lot of, a lot of That's crap. That's
0: where the deepest stresses lie, I believe.
1: Yeah, totally, yeah. totally.
0: And there's a whole Vedic understanding of it in terms of the subtle physiology and shishumna and Kundalini and all that stuff and the Nadis and we, all that business. I asked you the question about the witnessing phase and about the, the juggling act between individual control and divine control, if we want to call it that. But then you alluded to a, a more profound awakening, and I think you said 2014 or something. It
1: was in 2016, which is, why, okay. which is why when you and I met in 2017, I was like, let me settle a little bit yeah. before, we, before I go that. And then I just woke up one day last spring. After having another dream, in which uh, I'll go into that later, but where it was like, okay, I'm ready. I'll I'll tell Rick. Let's do it. But yeah, 2016, I decided to go on a uh, on another Buddhist meditation retreat. You know, I sort of uh, (sighs) turned away from Buddhism. Like I was angry at Buddhism during that time. Like I was like, why didn't you guys tell me about this? About all the chaos. Why I want to just go back to the way things were. Well, not really. Does Mm -hmm. Buddhism have
0: the tools to deal with all that? I have not had a Buddhist path, but somehow I just get the sense that they don't really know how to deal with kundalini and psychic abilities, or maybe they do, and I just don't know enough about it. Uh,
1: Maybe they do, and we don't know enough about it, but I couldn't find anything about the energetic awakenings. The most I would get is sort of like, eh, just don't pay any attention to it you know, like, yeah, don't worry about it. And and that's very helpful advice, you know, to not fixate on it. Don't attach to it. Don't make it a new identity. But you can't just brush special, it
0: off. Sometimes stuff has but, to be but dealt with. you can't with.
1: brush it off. Yeah. 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 You know, my, my teacher was helpful with that, but I, you know, I needed some other type of guidance. So, I mean, during that time, I got really into just managing my personal energy. When you've been blown open so much, there is also a personal energy that we need to tend to grounding myself, you know, visualizations of being rooted to the earth, dumping energy, big breath in, you know, dumping excess energy, just this kind of managing, I kind of figured it out on my own. I sort of pieced stuff together, but yeah. So, so finally I, I was ready to, to go back to a Buddhist meditation retreat and this one was like, you know, eight days and up at Mount Baldy Zen center and it was like the seventh day, I guess. You know, right towards the end, because I'm a, I like to wait till the very last minute. I'm always running late. And I was doing these this open eye meditation, uh, you know, holding the space of the mind. So this is another Padma Sambhava meditation, just just resting in the you know, in the space of the mind, watching whatever arises, eyes open. And um and I, I was I was bugged by the perceiver by the witness. I was like. There was a knowing that I, I am this awareness. And it's in me, you could say, if it had a location. And all around me is awareness. But there's this perceiver, there's this witness that's that's like in the way.
0: And the witness was not awareness. The witness was something other than awareness. Maybe a a, a vantage point of some localized nature.
1: It was a vantage point, but something shifted in that um, I saw Padma face and I heard the perceiver is not a problem. And in that moment, everything went and dissolved. And I realized that the perceiver, the, it is the same as, as, as God, as awareness, as, as this isness. Um, and I'm sitting in the meditation zendo with a bunch of other quiet meditators and I start, laughing hysterically. And, and I just, you know, as soon as I left, I just wrote in my journal, I am that I am that. Oh, and I had never heard I'd never heard that phrase. Um, I am that I, I get emotional thinking about it. To yeah, yeah. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I mean, I could not stop laughing. It was uh, it was hilarious and relieving. It was like the biggest cosmic joke ever. And you should try um, you it in know, your next, every, stand-up next stand-up routine. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm, try, I'm trying to try to, you know, bring in a little more philosophical stuff um, now that I'm getting back to it.
0: Jim Carrey but, would like yeah. to talk to you.
1: I'd like to talk he, to, to him. He's really I into wanna, this
0: kind of stuff these days, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, he, he, he is. And
0: um, Russell Brand.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll cross paths. But yeah, so the whole day was just spent kind of laughing hysterically and just in, in wonder that, you know, I am that everything about me has always been that Mm. and always will be. It all comes out of the same thing, the same source. I woke up the next day at this meditation retreat and I was like, well, boy, I got a lot out of this meditation retreat. Uh, am I going to skip some of these meditations we're doing in the Zendo? And I just, you know, stare at the trees and just, I was just in such joy, and then the last meditation of the day, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sit and do this meditation. And it, and it was a you know zokchen meditation where you, eyes open, just holding everything's inside, everything's outside. Everything is inside, everything is outside. So you, you really hold that dualistic uh, perspective and then you toggle back and forth, back and forth, faster and faster until it all ideally dissolves. But that's what happened is that all of a sudden, uh, inside and outside dissolved. And again, like in 2011, I saw what I had always taken myself to be, and I saw her go down a drain, and I was sucked into a void for a while, I don't know how long. And when I was spit out of that void, I looked around and uh, saw that I was... The cushion and the Buddha statue and the floor, and the window, and that I was everything and everything was me.
0: So um, the difference then between the 2011 one and the 2016 one would be that the 2011 one was a witnessing shift and the 2016 one was a unity shift. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: It was a shift. It was a shift into unity. Mm-hmm.
0: And that was about two years ago, 2016.
1: About a little over two years ago. Time and space collapsed. The Sarah that I was really felt like she died. So,
0: what about this thing Padma Sambhava said about uh, the perceiver is not a problem? Is there still a perceiver?
1: Uh, No, actually, I left that out in the 2016 shift into unity. Right before the inside, outside, inside, outside dissolved, uh, I saw his face and I heard him say, there is no perceiver. Again, that pointer just went, (gasps) that made everything dissolve.
0: So how does perception happen?
1: I don't know. There, there is a perceiver and yet there isn't. I mean, that was the thing that night that as I was walking along, which I wrote about later in my journal was, well, wow, there, there is no body and there is a body. There's no perception and yet there is perception. So it was holding, you know, my teacher said, oh, well, that's non duality. And of course, that has deepened, you know, over the past two years but yeah all of it being held at the same time the experience is that there's no perceiver that there's no one holding or owning perception
0: so so to say that there's no perceiver no body no perception would be only half the story because because it's true that there isn't but it's also true that there is
1: right yeah, yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of non-duality heads get caught up. It's a, they're in a high level of duality. You know, they're, they're stuck in the transcendent or they're, you know, they, they, they've seen that form isn't all there is, you know. So now they're like, well, nothingness is all there is. Emptiness is all there is, man. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What non-duality? Both and, uh, yeah, both and both. Yeah. And, 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 and what has, what has been happening has been a shift into, all I can describe, like a totality. It's been persistent and abiding, you know, what I am, this pure consciousness, awareness has persisted. But unity, maybe a year ago, started shifting into um, something else, something that's still, still in the works, I guess, something that's beyond unity. One of the ways I describe it is like a totality, you know, David Buckland and I. was just going
0: to ask you about David Buckland, whether you'd ever spoken with him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did end up emailing he, he him. He has a very yeah. TM ish
0: orientation, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but he has this mapped out pretty clearly. And uh, I always try to read his blog posts and I'll yeah, probably be interviewing kind of great, him again pretty
1: blog. soon. Oh, good.
0: Um, okay, let me ask you a question. Just as we just covered that. Perceiver, no perceiver, were a body, no body, uh, both are true in, in the context of a larger totality. Would it also be true to say that there is no sense of a personal self, and yet there is, and paradoxically, somehow or other, both of those can be held in the larger totality?
1: Yeah. Susanna Marie and Shanti gave a great interview with you think in the fall of 2016 was it maybe yeah. uh, about about the falling away of the self that is what what happens you know beyond unity uh, and I think Susanna Marie actually just had a, an interview with Renata McNay on living beyond unity and she and I've been having a lot of conversations about it so um so that'll be an interesting interview but yeah so I think Adyashanti calls it the falling away of the self you know TMers might call it Brahman consciousness uh, You know, I think it plays hide and seek a little bit until it falls away. But it's not like, oh, there's no body here. There's no, there's nobody here. The the experience is that there is nobody here. And? And. Yet I am here. There's a body and a mind and there's serenness that arises. Serenness arises out of nothing and then goes back into nothing. Just like Rickness arises out of absolute nothingness and goes back into into this spacious potentiality.
0: If you were to summarize your experience in three phrases, would these three, three phrases be apt? I'm everywhere, I'm nowhere, and I'm right here.
1: Yeah. That would be part of how I'd describe it probably. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I sort of feel it that way myself, but I mean, I, I never quite felt resolved or settled with that conversation with Susanna and Adya, because you know, knowing them both quite well. For instance, that weekend, Adya was just getting over a terrible flu. In fact, we had to we had to postpone the interview because, and he was telling us before the interview how he he was sick as a dog. He he got out of bed and basically collapsed to the floor, and you know, Mukti had to help him back into bed. That wasn't happening to the tree outside the window. It was happening to this Adi guy. And there was a sense of, my God, I'm really sick. <laughs> you know, there is some kind of me here that is feeling this. Even though it presumably hit, hit a deeper, perhaps even more predominant reality was there is no sickness and there is no me or anything else. But part of the package of the total experience was a, a severe flu that somebody was suffering through somehow.
1: You know, I think this is where words really fail. There's not a lot written about Brahman consciousness. There's not a lot written about, um, experiencing no self. Bernadette Roberts, right? Mm-hmm. She wrote that, wrote that great book about it. Of course, it's, you know, her, her own experience with it. So she covers that terrain quite well. And I, I think Adyashanti, I think has maybe he has hats off to her with, you know, she's informed of the work that he's, he's doing now with talking about it and stuff. And Susanna Marie, but, Nobody's denying that there isn't a body.
0: Or that there is a body. You did a double negative there. So nobody... Oh, yeah, right.
1: I did. <laughs> I ain't going to tell you. There is a body. The experience, I think when people talk about this state of consciousness, which isn't really a state, is, you know, again, words, words really fail. But it's about, it's about the experience of it from this vessel, this yeah. instrument. This instrument is experiencing serenus right now and then and then it, and then it dissolves this instrument is experiencing you know hot tea or the flu but there's no separation it's like the veil of even unity is a very 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 subtle there's someone there there is the perceived sense of someone who is one with this computer right here and one with you. So there are two that are one. We're united. We're unified. So, so when that falls away, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, I know Maharishi sent me that interesting thing. He's sort of like, well, it's, it's a deeper state of unity it's a flow so i'm sure when audio was collapsing on the floor you know with with his flu that it's it's a it's a flow with all of it he he is the flu and he is uh the body collapsing on the floor and he is the nothingness and he is the it's it's all happening
0: sure but the experience was being had there in that instrument i wasn't aware that adi was sick so i was do- off somewhere else doing something else. And so my instrument was not having the experience that his instrument was having. And so there, there's some kind of, uh, the concept of laisha Vidya may fit in here that is used in Vedanta, which means faint remains of ignorance. That, you know, ultimately it's just all totality and there's no individuality, but that's, that's.
1: Well, Well, then we get into the whole thing of like, well, ignorance creates bodies and that's why we're here. And that's why we're, in, you know, I don't know about any of that. I don't think anybody can answer wh- whether that's true or not. But I think what Audience, and Suzanne Marie and what I'm starting to talk about, too, is really about it's about your lived experience. And yes, experiences fade and they're not permanent. Someday I'll find words for it, but it's, it doesn't feel like it's stabilized in me yet. So let's talk two years from now or something. And Susanna Marie, you and Susanna Marie can probably have a far more colorful conversation about it than you and I could right now.
0: Maybe we'll do a threesome sometime or a foursome. <laughs> yeah, that,
1: that'd be great. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's all included. Nothing is left out. It's, And I think Adya has said it in uh, some talk he gave that it's eternity looking out through these eyes so 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 that that is no self that is right. Brahman consciousness and we've, we've all glimpsed it everybody has whether whether it stabilizes or you know becomes a lived experience is you know that's another thing but um but it's eternity looking out through eternity's eyes it's not just rick it's not just sarah and it goes beyond even like oh well it's eternity and rick You know, it's, it's something falls away where it's just this. So, so it's sort of like if, you know, the realization in 2016 was I am that, or I am this now feels like something is developing. That's just this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, you go to see a comedy show and I'll be like, you know, just being a goofball but you know that that belongs too it's all just this it's all just happening it's all it's all just happening which when people talk about this stuff somebody can hear it and get intellectual about it and and the mind or the ego can get engaged and go yeah but i mean there's no arguing with with it right it's it's just this is the experience and this is what people have reported experiencing yeah. so
0: well i you know i i'm certainly um willing to admit that I've, you know, my experience has got a long way to go and that I'm doing my best to, you know, based upon what I have experienced and what I have understood to, you know, uh, understand this and to talk with you about it. Um, But, you know, when I hear somebody like God, you say, well, you know, I'm still a work in progress and uh, there's still development taking place. Well,
1: because we're human beings. We're human yeah, being.
0: so what is it that's developing? The instrument, right. But the instrument is not just a flesh and blood thing. It also has subtle components. And there's some kind of subtle thing which evolves, even if the physical instrument dies. And, you know, you say Padmas Abhava came to you and people talk about Ramana coming to them or our various other sort of ascended masters and so on and so forth. So, you know, what is it that persists even when those human beings died and now they appear to be functioning on some subtler plane?
1: Well, as far as that goes, I mean, I just feel like somebody drops the body, their their body dissolves, individuated consciousness, the gross body, the gross body dissolves, but individuated consciousness gets absorbed back into the, the, the great, great consciousness. And their essence, their essence from when they were here, also is still floating in the ethers. And maybe it's floating in the ethers for, this is my take on it, yeah. perhaps it's floating in the ethers for a second. But to us, on this gross plane, it's a lifetime, or it's several lifetimes that Ramana can you know, the essence of Ramana can come to someone or, or Padmasambhava or... Could be. And we're getting a little philosophical here
0: and speculative, but it's it's interesting to touch upon. I mean, I, I interviewed a guy a few weeks ago named William Meader, who is, uh, has a background in the Theosophical Society. And he said, in their understanding... Uh, you know, once you reach the sort of pinnacle of human evolution, as far as one can go in a human body, then you shift to uh, the next phase, which uh, which you become a beginner again, relative to what is now attainable. Oh, I like that. Not, yeah, relative to what is now attainable from there. And um, that also Jibes with the the Vedic tradition's understanding of sixteen kala's or levels of evolution, which levels four through eight being the human, and the the highest human that ever walked the earth would have been an eight or somewhere in there. But after that, there's eight more. I don't know. Sure, I
1: can I can see that. Well, we're we're all just we're all just starting. We're all just beginning. We're all just. I mean, no matter where we're at. I mean, with everything that's happened, like I'm, I I feel like, oh, now I'm really beginning my life. You know, I'm a bit of a late bloomer, but you know, and uh, Hollywood doesn't like old broads, but that's changing. Yeah, Meryl Streep is doing okay. So I think she's doing okay, but you know, then again, she was Meryl Streep when she was Meryl Streep. but there was no Meryl there. Ugh. But yeah, I feel like I'm starting. I'm just now, just beginning. I was just telling my husband the other day, like, wow, I feel like I'm just now starting my life and just now starting to scratch the surface of what i can create as as a comedian as a performer as a writer and so i feel like i'm starting over again and i see all like these young comics who are just starting out and i feel like hey i'm one of you and they kind of look at me they're like you're a little older than me
0: well you know see what throws people is that you know they they just heard you talk all about how there's you know there's only this, and there's no kind of person anymore. And then and then you launch into, well, I'm getting going as a comic, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And, you know, so the language itself.
1: Language can't, can't, can't yeah. support this. It's all of it. Everything belongs. Everything is included. Now I feel like something is operating through me, and so that is an operation. But even a year ago, I was still wondering, like, oh, what am I doing? I'm doing all this spiritual work with people, but yet – there are all these creative impulses on my business card what am i relatively speaking what am i on the relative level what how do you move forward but but you know life sort of takes care it of it does
0: and we diff- we have different roles to play different dharmas
1: yeah so there is something moving me and i have to say that i feel i got surprised about it that i still keep coming back to standing on a stage with a microphone talking to people, because I I think I was under some impression, especially after the 2011 awakening, you know, when everything fell away, and I didn't have any motivation to get on stage, that like, oh, you know, this is so not spiritual. It's all meaningless, man. Because there's that side of the coin, like, oh, it all doesn't matter. And it's all, you know, there's this whole other dimension that we truly are. So all of this doesn't matter, you know, all that shit. Which, hey, if, if that's where we're at, that's where we're at. We kind of have to be, you know, polish that facet of the, of the diamond for a little while until we move on to another one. But yeah, it has been surprising over the years that I keep coming back to performing because I think part of conditioning was, oh, that's selfish. That's for people who want attention. That's for, you know, who knows, like all sorts of conditioning gets, gets kicked out of the system. But then here we are this past week I performed at a gay bar, a comedy club and a and an alternative church. So I'm still doing this. Something is is motivating me. Sure.
0: And I mean if the kind of experience that has dawned in you is can be thought of as the direction in which human evolution is heading, and if we could imagine a world in which a large percentage or even a majority of people had undergone such a development, then we're still going to need airline pilots and doctors and politicians and athletes and per- performers. And, you know, people will be doing many of the same things that we do now. Um, you know, we may not, uh, and there might be certain things which will become obsolete and totally inappropriate just as you know blacksmiths aren't very common anymore um <laughs> but nonetheless i mean there, you can imagine just as uh you know when you had your awakening the physiology sort of began purifying itself you can you can imagine a society of awakened people in which all the various professions get purified by exactly. those people that's well put yeah, yeah. So you can imagine a politics, for instance, that's not full of all the crap that it now is, and and, uh, medicine, which is based upon a much more enlightened consciousness, and so many different things.
1: Yeah, I do feel that entertainment and media is undergoing something right now, for sure. I mean, just with the Me Too movement recently, there's been an expunging in Hollywood. And just in the comedy scene, the comedy scene is much more friendly to toward female comedians now. It feels something has shifted and so and so yes, I think that's well put. We, we need, you know, Wall Street brokers who are awake. We need pediatricians who are and then that's how humanity as a whole evolves. I feel like we're in a new age yeah. for that. In that people who would discover these aspects of reality or the nature of reality and the nature Of self uh, or beyond self would then sit in a cave or or sit on a pedestal and teach and that's all they do or, you know, which was entirely appropriate. It's entirely and it's still appropriate if that's what somebody is doing now. But I'm noticing that more and more people I mean, there are I, I have people coming to me who work in all areas of life, who have had awakening experiences and profound ones through near-death experience or um, an ayahuasca journey or something or childbirth. And they're, you know, like a producer in Hollywood, an actress, uh, just there's a stand-up comedian who had a, had an experience happen to her recently who like had no context for it. And I'm trying to explain it to her. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. But something's happening. Something's happened in here. I yeah, just, is
0: that, that's, that's Buffalo Springfield. And there's also something is happening, that you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? That was oh, Dylan. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a lot of times people feel like, okay, well, we have to change the system. You know, politics is, is a mess and we need to elect different people or medicine is a mess. We need to change those systems and, you know, various other things we could talk about. But really, we need to change, crew way of putting it, we need to change. But the people who, the people who comprise these systems, once they change, consciousness, the, the, once the horse consciousness will be before changes, the cart and the cart will naturally get pulled in the right direction.
1: Consciousness needs to change. So all, all this other stuff is, you know, like, oh, my God, I can't believe what's happening. You know, consciousness is changing in, in individuals, in different arms of the one, one thing. You know, our, all the consciousness is changing. You know, it's just not happening fast enough. You know, we want change now. But like, I think, you know, with these shifts now I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is something that's evolving over, you know, like the next hundred or 200 years, who knows what humanity is going to look like, you know, but, but we, you know, we live these, you know, 80 year, 90 year lifespans and we're like, it's not happening fast enough. Oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, who, who who knows if things are going to, going to clean up in the next 20 years, but in the next hundred or 200, you know, it, sure. it's going to be different.
0: Well, you know, nature has its own timetable and, uh, I'm sure it'll happen in something faster than geologic time. It's not like the shifting of, of continents. And it
1: seems to be accelerating. It does seem to be accelerating. And when people look at politics and everything that's happening, they're like, oh, my God, it's a sign that the world is falling apart. I actually look at it from the healing perspective in that, no, this is what happens when there's enough light. Yeah. You know, the dark comes to the surface. Yeah, We're in a healing crisis. That's what's happening. So everybody's, you know, like clutching their pearls and they're, you know, freaking out. But whenever we go through healing as an individual, dark matter comes to the surface. What has been unseen, what has been in the shadow comes forward into the light. And we experience it again. We feel it again. It tortures us again uh, until it's sort of run its course and it sort of sort of dissolves. And that that's the healing process. But humanity is going through a healing process. More light, more awareness is being shown on that which has been in the shadow. So suddenly people are like, what? Racism still exists? What? Misogyny? Like, I thought those women were fine. It's all coming to the surface. It's a healing crisis. People are still going to be like, ah, you know, pulling their hair out about it, which doesn't mean that we should just sit there and do nothing.
0: We've gone off on some philosophical considerations which are necessarily somewhat speculative and some you know societal or considerations about what the impact of this sort of thing might be on society and i think that's very important actually i mean if you are a harbinger of you, know, you and the kinds of people i interview are harbingers of um, what is to become a larger societal trend you know, more and more and more people having these sorts of awakenings, which is, I believe, what's happening, then I think that has extremely exciting implications for our world and for how we might end up much better off than many of us fear. So we can even talk about, you can even respond to that if you want, but then I want to bring it back to a little bit more about you.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting when you say that it's like everybody's like expecting some sort of miracle, you know, we need a miracle, but that is the miracle. It's just not arriving in a flash, it's arriving over time, is that people who weren't sitting in caves meditating in the Himalayas for 70 years or something are are, are waking up. It's, you know, it's just, it's happening. yeah.
0: And, you know, that might have been happening a thousand years ago, too. I mean, Kabir was a weaver and uh, that he had, uh, that was his profession. Uh, Nisargadatta sold cigarettes. Um, So it could very well, you know, we mainly hear about people who left an historical record of their of their teachings. But there could have been many people who didn't leave teachings because they weren't teachers and they were just, you know, cobblers or something. And and yet they had a profound awakening.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I meet people who are like, "Oh, you know, that's kind of how I how I see things," but they don't they don't call it that. Harry Alto, what the heck? Like he just sort of like came, you know, came out of the womb like that. Yeah, he's been like this all and his life. It, it it abided, and he had that one moment where he felt like the ego closing in and the separation closing in, and he was like, "Whoa." How do you how how do you guys live like this? Or I'm paraphrasing him. Maybe no, he didn't it was kind say it of like that. that. He was
0: saying, "Yeah, I can't, I can't live like this." I mean, how do people do it? And then after about 15 minutes, it melted away again, and he was back to his usual state of bliss.
1: Yeah, of bliss. You know what I do? I do think that it's important to, to stress too is that since the awakening into unity in 2016, it's not like you know rainbows have been shooting out of my butt, and I'm like, everything's great. Excuse me, I'm swearing. I'm shucks. swearing again. Ah, shucks. You know <laughs>
0: that would be great on stage.
1: I know, right? But you know, there has been more clearing just like eight months ago, seven months ago, you know, what is a September of 2018 right now, a big chunk of something cleared from my system, but, but it felt like more of a, um, a gut, a body, a body release. Oh, that was the dream that we were talking about dreams. Yeah, I just had like er- early at the beginning of this year, I had just this primal fear dream. I'd never had a dream like that before. There's always a, a narrative in the dream. And, and, and often I'm aware I'm dreaming. And sometimes I'm just, you know, uh, I say, just knock me out, but there was no awareness in the dream. I mean, there was awareness of, of this primal fear. It was just, there was no narrative, no story to it, just a primal fear gripping, dream and it was completely terrifying and i woke up and something had fallen away something that the body had been had been holding so i think the the body continues to release long after and Stuff arises because we're in a body and, and the neural pathways are still rewiring and, and, and everything's still stabilizing and integrating. I was nervous for the interview. There were nerves in the body, which dissipated. I still feel a, like a, ah, as I'm about to get on stage. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. So, so there just was this big gut release just, you know, like seven or eight months ago. And that's when I woke up and I said something felt completely different. I felt like, oh, I think I'm going to email Rick and tell him that I want to do the interview. N- not because it was like, oh, because I'm finished. I've, I've completed my clearing out and I'm ready for, you know, but it just was like, oh, I, let's see what Rick is doing and just being moved by something. So, you know, at every step on the path of awakening, there is clearing. It just gets subtler and subtler and subtler and subtler. And especially if somebody has had trauma, the body and uh, I mean, even just the cells, the tissues are <gasps> holding, I, you know, whereas consciousness, before waking up consciousness identifies with the psychological self with the me to know that it exists. But the body identifies with uh, suffering and pleasure to know that it exists. So if you've had a certain type of life or certain experiences in your life, your body may identify with being (gasps) contracted traumatized so so yeah there are subtle subtle clearings all along you know
0: and who knows how many more there may be you could be going through them 20 years from now or whatever who knows i know that in the the vedic tradition it's thought that the refinement is never ending and that if one were to if one were to live long enough one could actually refine the physical body to become a celestial body. Uh, and there are records of people having done that, supposedly. I think in Buddhist tradition, there are records of people having done that as well.
1: Yeah, the, the rainbow yeah, body. And that
0: kind of stuff might be just mythological, you know, fanciful stuff. But I don't know. But, you know, from everyone I speak to, and I've spoken to hundreds, the vast majority do feel that there is going to continue, and there is continuing to be refinement. And, and in many respects, and not just the body, but the senses, the intellect, the the heart, um, all the all the various faculties that make us up. There, there's no end to,
1: no yeah, end. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, just just because. So, so I might be awake or whatever, and and you know, look at my husband and not feel like there's any separation between us, but then also be really annoyed that he's doing something, or you know. Um, and then and then not have the facility to or the communication skills yet, let's say, I mean, all of this is hypothetical, we have a perfect relationship, but not have the communication skills, let's say yet to say, Oh, you know what, I really, that feels weird right now. I know, it's just me, hold on a second. You know, so so we're always developing, we're always developing our communication skills, we're developing our mental and intellectual understanding of how the physical world works, of how relationships work. He, you know, so it, it's never ending. If you're in a body, you know, that then it it does apply. You know, we're works in progress. Remember Peace Pilgrim? Did you ever read Peace Pilgrim? You know, uh-uh.
0: Uh, she was this marvelous woman. Um, you, you look up Peace Pilgrim and you find it. But there's this little book that you can read. And she basically spent decades and decades wandering around the united states with nothing but the shirt on her back and a pair of well pants also and and you know just sneakers just completely at the mercy of whatever happened so people would pick her up people would feed her you know people would give her a place to stay or sometimes they wouldn't but she would just keep walking around the world and she just had a shirt on that said peace pilgrim and she was just this cosmic person uh who very beautiful soul she has a very beautiful face and um, but anyway she had this little chart in her book about the sort of the pace of evolution and she kind of said you know for a long time it just kind of goes like this just a wavy line that doesn't go up or maybe it's going up gradually but it's wavy but then she said once you undergo a certain shift of the kind i think you've been describing in this interview then it really begins to accelerate a lot more because it's sort of like you're not in control of it anymore. You're not the one who's pulling the strings. Uh, you've surrendered to a much more wise and powerful level of nature's intelligence, and they can work out your destiny or your evolution. That that can work out your evolution much more effectively than any sort of individual thing can. But anyway, that's a recommendation for everybody listening to get a hold of Peace Pilgrim's little book. It's probably free online or something at this point. And just read it because she was a very inspiring figure.
1: Is she still alive?
0: No, she died a number of years ago. She was doing this, I don't know when, back in the 60s wow, or the 50s yeah. or something. Uh, but she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And and that little bit, I was reminded of that little bit about the evolution always continuing, but continuing, but accelerating once the individual kind of gets out of the way.
1: Yeah. And, and doesn't Ken Wilber say something about, you know, we wake up, show up, clean up and grow up?
0: Yeah, the, all that stuff. And he talks a lot about the fact that those can be a rather out of correlation or out of sync yeah, and they need, they need to also be brought in line for a, f- a full awakening to really be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and also with like, you know, creativity with people who, because, you know, I just, I work with a lot of creative people. How do you get out of the way and let that happen? So, you know, when somebody has had a profound awakening, it's, you know, they have some facility with getting out of the way, but um you know that that's that's really what, what's happening. We get out of the way, and and life can move through us, or the symphony can move through us, or the play, or you know the the words for something that we you know want to have. You're familiar with Arabindo, right, Sri Arabindo?
0: Sure, yeah. I would love to study him more. I hope to do that at some point. Maybe I'll find a an Aurobindo expert that I can interview.
1: Yeah, well, there's a good book called uh, Adventures in Consciousness. Uh, oh, I don't. I wish I could give a shout out to the. Author, I think he passed away, but yeah, "Adventures in Consciousness" is what it's called, and and it's a pretty good kind of summation of Aurobindo's work. And you know, I don't claim to really have studied him so much that I, you know, but but that's basically what what he's saying is that for evolution, you know, a, a evolution is happening. This is the evolution of humanity. Is that consciousness is now is now leading things, whereas the body was evolving you know the body's been evolving so now consciousness our bodies are pretty good machines i mean we still have wisdom teeth and appendixes and who knows what they're for but now it's consciousnesses turn to to evolve and to evolve humanity so and i i agree with that i think that's i think that's what's what's happening yeah i would
0: say it always has been and it's uh, throughout the 13.7 billion year history of the universe and this universe is probably only one of many So that's always been the game. Uh, But I think at least on this planet, we've reached a stage of biological evolution with nervous systems sophisticated. We're not dinosaurs. We're not troglodytes. You know, we have a level of complexity and brains large enough to really become vehicles for some very interesting developments to take place and for a very interesting society to arise from those developments. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. I agree.
0: Well, Sarah Taylor.
1: Um, well, Rick Archer. What do you think? I think we're winding down. Let's not let's not exhaust people.
0: Yeah, with our I, philosophizing. P.T. Barnum said, "You know, always leave them wanting more." He also said, "There's a sucker born every minute," but <laughs> he did say that. <laughs> he was from Bridgeport, Connecticut, right next to where I grew up.
1: Oh, but, you're a Connecticut guy. Yeah, I was from
0: Fairfield, Connecticut. But, and Westport. But in any case, Sarah, um, I'm, you know, you're a good friend. I, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time together, but I just feel a, a kind of camaraderie with yeah. you. And, um, I've enjoyed having this conversation with you and I would certainly want you to have the last say if there's anything else you feel, um, has been left out, but, you know, I, I think we'll probably end up doing another one in, in a few years and, um, uh, you know, we can sort of have chapter Two of this, chapter maybe two, we even to do a group thing, you know, with Suzanne, like Marie and maybe Adya or whoever wants to be part of it. David Buckland, you know, a few years ago I did this thing at Sophia University with like fourteen or fifteen. I people. remember
1: that, yeah.
0: I didn't quite feel moved to do that again this year, although I could. Well,
1: there were so many people on that panel.
0: It was interesting. It was like this all-day thing, and and uh, I, I kind of like maybe I'll do another one of those one of these days, and you could be part of it. But it took a lot of finagling to pull that one off and a lot of technical technical things a lot of post-production editing and all but
1: i mean and we had technical issues earlier this week we weren't sure this was going to happen
0: in any case this went well i think and i think people enjoy it and um we didn't get any questions during it but that doesn't matter i think you and i filled the time i appreciate your time thank and you, we'll Rick. See I appreciate you, uh, you hopefully we'll see you out at sand in yeah. a month or so you're gonna make it
1: Uh, I think so. I think I'm going to be there. That's about a month from now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, late October.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, we'll take it from there. So I'll just make a few wrap up points. I'll create a page on my website about you and links to your website and all that stuff. I would recommend if you haven't already done so to create something on your website where people can be notified when your book is released, because I think it's going to be a real interesting book. And they may not want to be on your regular mailing list, but they might want to just be notified when your book gets done whenever that's going to be and uh, so people listening to this go visit her website um, sarah taylor.com right nope
1: sarah taylor.org sarah taylor.com is a real estate agent in florida who fields my emails she is so kind shout out to sarah taylor in florida but it's sarah taylor.org
0: whitehouse.com used to be a porn site and uh, (laughs) people would go there all the time it's it's whitehouse.gov that you want to go to
1: well, it's, it's good to know that, Rick. i remember that. These days it sort of is a
0: porn site, even if you go to WhiteHouse.gov. But in, in any case, <laughs> with apologies to the conservatives who listen to this. I know, right? Next week is a, an old friend of mine named Steve Briggs, um, who had all kinds of interesting adventures in India for years and lived and hiked in the Himalayas and claims to have met Babaji up oh, there. Oh,
1: I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have his book. Yeah. I read part of it. Nice. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, I'm yeah. in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, I, I see him every week when I go to play pickleball. He's up there teaching tennis, uh, where it's going to be one of these, you know, people who make Fairfield, Iowa an interesting place to live interviews. And uh, and then the following week is this fellow I mentioned earlier, who's written the book about the decisions we make before we come into this life. So stay tuned, everybody. And if you want to be notified of these interviews when they get released, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, and there's some kind of extra subscription thing you can do i've been told that makes you make sure you get notified and uh, also um, subscribe to our little email at at list if you want to it's on badcap.com. you can also subscribe to the audio podcast if you like to listen while you're commuting and stuff so thanks sarah thank you take care
1: bye everybody thanks for watching live